reject the recall. It's not good for you. It's not good for children or other living things. Thank you all. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will put down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Nancy Pelosi is the single worst public speaker in the history of American politics. Uh, it really is up there. It's good for children and other living things. Like, what? I mean, the fact that she gets away with saying things like that, people are like, oh, man, she's so brilliant. Gosh, she's great. How could you say okay, the recall in California is bad for children and other living, other living things? things. <laughs> Master legislator Nancy Pelosi. I mean, what a thoughtful mind of our time. I remember her 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 genius gambit of holding the articles of impeachment oh, yeah. over over Christmas, and and every reporter in this town was oh, like, she knows oh, what she's doing. This is just a masterstroke. Oh, she's so smart. She held the articles of impeachment, extracted nothing in return. Everyone was like, genius, <laughs> so smart. Well, welcome to the Ruthless Variety program, folks. We are very close to the first Ruthless Live ever in history. In Iowa at the State Fair, coming up, just days away. Just we, days we are just away. Just days away. It's unbelievable. I, I, I mean, I can't tell you how excited I am about this. The lineup we have out there is insane. We've already heard from a lot of folks who say they're going to be there. Uh, it's going to be incredible. I'll be honest with you. It's, it's like um, I kind of don't know what to expect. You know, because I've already heard from like literally hundreds of people that are that are coming to this thing. And like, I don't know, I don't know what that means, right? Because we haven't done one of these before. No, I mean we're really gonna be shooting from the hip. <laughs> like, we have no idea. I mean, we've got great guests. But he, yeah, right. We have great guests. We're gonna be at Jr. South Pork Ranch at the fair. Um, you know, recording for five hours. We're gonna be broadcasting on the speakers at the restaurant. Uh, it's gonna attract a crowd. Yeah. Uh, I hope. I hope no negative attention. But you know. No, but who knows? We don't know. We literally don't know. We don't know. It's going to be a real mystery, but I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. Listen, I'm going to bring so much energy to this. I'm going to bring so much energy. I'm going to be over the top. I might get myself in trouble, but I'm going to be really over the top. Well, you got to come with high energy. I mean, same. And let's not forget, folks, there's going to be a butter cow there. The legendary, this, right. the legend of the butter cow. This is his favorite This thing. is where it's from. I mean, I'm, I'm, that's the first thing I'm doing when I get there. What, Number can, one, butter cow. Are you gonna butter your corn with the with the, with the <laughs> if it, butter cup? Watch me get kicked out, like before we even start our. show. Oh, you try to like bring up yeah. a, a corn corn cob? Yeah. The our, well, our man Matt on Twitter had an offering from oh. how you butter your cob. I, I think maybe the cow is a better alternative. Whatever. I'll tell you. 100%. I saw the gif. I saw the gif. It will not be mentioned. It will not be mentioned. <laughs> uh, incredible art, though. The cow. The cow's a better alternative. Um, Listen, let's do some housekeeping first. We got a lot to cover here. Yeah, we do. For uh, Blake Masters, In candidate, incredible interview for US Senate in Arizona. Really thoughtful guy, young generational uh different candidate. 
He's running in a really going to be a competitive primary, but ultimately a state the Republicans have to have in order to have the majority in the Senate. Talented guy. Enjoyed our conversation. We've got that interview today. Yeah. Um, secondly, you know how we like to read the, you know, the reviews. Yes. The five-star reviews. Well, today I've got a good one. Uh, this is from Stevens Susie 84 Five stars. Thank you very much, Stephen Susie 84 My husband and I love the program. We found the program earlier this summer and love it so much that we've gone back to the beginning episodes. We love it when people do that because, because honestly, the, the trajectory of the show is, is pretty amazing. We've, we've improved the quality significantly. Yeah, they go back to the original episodes. It's going to be like listening to like, Fit, like 50 cents mixtapes yeah. you know that were popping on the street yeah you know before get rich or dying trying oh, you know what i good, mean such a good comparison yeah that's right that's right so she she finishes by saying we own property in illinois kentucky and florida which is a better place to live kentucky or florida now that's a tricky question for me for a lot of reasons obvious reasons but i have a very simple answer answer i'm not going to equivocate I'm not going to equivocate. Okay. I love Kentucky with all my heart. I really do. As long as Governor Steve Bashir is governor of Kentucky and Ron DeSantis is governor of Florida, this is a no-brainer. This is a no-brainer. I like that. That's a good... It's it's a political answer. It's a good escape hatch. You no, know? it's not an escape hatch. It's a real thing. And I'll tell you why it's a real thing. Let me, let me tell you why it's a real thing. It's not an escape hatch. Yesterday, Steve Bashir announced that he was implementing a mandatory mask mandate for all children in all schools as young as two years old. It's unreal. Right? Without any science, and he puts out all of this like liberal talking points and democratic like nonsense to try to justify it. So every kid in Kentucky is now mandated to deal with the mask, despite the fact that the science we heard from Marty McCary on all of this. Yeah. Despite the fact that the science is completely at odds with all of this, you get this completely absurd liberal mandate. Whereas in Florida, you're dealing with somebody who who honestly trusts parents to make a decision for themselves, right? And and, and you hear that you know talking point from the Dems about trust the science, follow the science. What the experts say, the experts said the 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 population most at risk is the elderly. So what did Governor Ron DeSantis do? He was like, let's get the elderly vaccinated first. And uh, let's not send COVID-positive people to nursing homes. To nursing homes, right? So, I, look, it's a bit convoluted. There's a lot of things at play in what's the best state. You like beaches or you like, you know, roaming fields of bluegrass, horses, what have you. But in the end, if you're ruled by a government that is this top-down, entirely prescriptive view of how you ought to live your life well i can't do that well I, I i can get on board with florida i mean just because i'm an old man at heart we know this i'm a curmudgeon i'm ready for the villages oh there you go you know i'm i'm, I'm just ready to hit hit the villages uh roll around in a golf cart you know golf yeah relax play shuffleboard I'm ready for retirement. So, yeah, Florida. Florida would be my pick, too. Yeah, my vote is Florida because uh, no income tax, 
Miami is amazing. And and look, look at Miami. You've got like elected Repub- Republican officials, top to bottom. It's amazing. I like that you mentioned the no income tax. I like that he's being sensible about this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's like, he's like, well, I did the math. Listen, talk to my accountant. Yeah, and uh, it's Florida. Who knows? I might be moving there. I, I mean, I love the place. I'll be back soon enough, folks, in Miami. No, I like. Listen, I love Florida, but I also love Kentucky. I just think that they've been hijacked by a governor gone awry. I hope they change the leadership at twenty twenty three. Right. I mean, yes. that's when it's that's when it's up they have off-year elections they ought to start working on that now because that's a real problem for kentucky anyway speaking of real problems the texas dems don't go away man they just they <laughs> oh, the TikTok texans these assholes never go anywhere i mean it's just incredible the thing that we learned this week is um you know you remember when they took the vacation that's they, right they went to portugal or whatever they're like uh well while democracy is at risk uh these tickets are non-refundable, so uh, yeah, we're going to Europe. Yeah, so we did a little digging on this. It turns out Portugal also does not allow vote by mail. <laughs> yeah, so that's how they are supporting democracy. Though. Listen, folks. They don't have 24-hour drive-through voting. They don't have all of the things that they feel like are integral. Well, yeah, they said it's crucial to a functioning democracy. Okay, yeah, there you go. <laughs> But the tickets are non-fundable, so I mean, come on. <laughs> the tickets are non-refundable. I mean, democracy, sure, but when the tickets are non-refundable, you got to think democracy in the back burner. <laughs> so great. Um, so, but like in the midst of all that, which is hilarious, uh, the Texas House Speaker Republican signs the arrest warrant for quorum-breaking Democrats. Now, you, you recall we've had, we've been mixed on this because. On one level, yes, they should be arrested. Yeah. It's ridiculous. But on on the other side of it, boy, they're doing so so much good for Republicans in Texas. Yeah, the more they're free, it's like they're hurting the Dem cause as much as possible. But I think we've gotten to the end of the rope. I think so. Might right? lock them up. That's that's the next step. So Texas House Speaker Dade Phelan uh, has signed a civil arrest warrant for each of the 52 quorum-busting Democrats Tuesday evening, just hours after the state representatives on the floor approve the motion for the chamber and the, and the leader to arrest them uh, if they were absent, almost explicitly on party lines, of course. Of course. So that could be a real showdown. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, it's I mean, fantastic. So are they going to... I wonder if they can... I don't know if they can travel across straight lines, though. Yeah. Hmm. You know? So as long as they're here, there's probably not, not much they can do about it, but... The arrest warrants are out. They're out. And it's, it's, it's going to happen. Can you imagine how hilarious? I mean, I, I want to know, like, what's your view? Of, what's CNN's coverage of that? Non-existent. Non-existent. They're, they're going to be like, wow, why did Ron DeSantis allow this? <laughs> See, I think, they'll, I think they'll, they'll cover it like it's a... Like Attack it's, on democracy? Like it's a, a, a march across the Edmund Pettus tr- Bridge. Honestly, what's Interpol like? Like uh, the ones that are in Europe are is Interpol going to catch them and extradite? Like, what's the situation with that? That's what I want to know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, folks. We need to. We, if you see them in Europe, please let the program know so we can direct <laughs> Interpol agents to make the arrest and extradite. <laughs> That's great. I want to see them flown back on Con Air, <laughs> <laughs> Nick Cage, and everything. That'd be great. All right, so um, another little interesting tidbit. 
in our in our ongoing uh, segment of of animal fighting, which is of great importance, honestly. Yeah. yeah. So, Dunks, I think you you highlighted this the other day. I did. I actually edited the the graphic. You did. Uh, this was a graphic that was posted on Twitter that says Americans are more confident than Britons that they could beat any animal in a fight. And I actually edited it on top and I put red coats with Americans uh, 100% believe that they can beat red coats. Uh, uh, but on here, what you'll find is whether it's a rat or a house cat or a goose or a bear or a lion or whatever, <laughs> Americans are very confident, at least more confident than, than Britons. By a pretty wide margin. By a pretty these. wide margin. Yeah, the, we, it's American exceptionalism is what this is. Yeah. There's one area here that is worth discussing in my view because there's a large gap in goose fighting. So it's I'm looking at this number. What, what do we have for goose? So goose is 61% of Americans believe that they can kick the shit out of a goose. Yeah. Right? Which seems reasonable. Doable. I feel like I could take that on. Yeah. Only 45% of uh, redcoats. I think they've experienced more goose interactions. I mean, geese are... are well, they're a big bird. They're tough animals. It's it's mere the bird. It's gone, dude. Like, yeah, I don't exactly. think that's a very Look, tough matchup. No, 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 no. Look, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. All I'm saying is they're way more aggressive than you would imagine they a, are a, bird, a bird is, right? Like, the way sure. they, they, like, the way that they sort of cock their neck, <laughs> almost like a, like a snake at you, you know, hiss. They have their tongue out. I mean, if it's mirror goose, the only question is like, how good is the goose at fleeing? Because that's the thing. It's like, <laughs> You're taking the goose. I, I mean, I'm strangling that thing, breaking its neck in five seconds. Well, so here's the thing. They give you an awful lot of neck to work with. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. It's like, I'm ringing that bell. That's the problem is that you, if you get them right around the head, like, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's over at that point. You just do like a super quick, the old school ring around. They're pretty fast though. Like, this is the thing is like. You imagine the goose comes in with like one little peck and what you sort of like, like a, like a matador, you sort of get around it and you grab the neck. Like that's the move, okay. right? How elusive a creature can it be when we've got faux gras? You know, <laughs> like this can't be like fighting a great white at all. You don't get a shotgun. <laughs> no, I'm, I mean, one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, goose, come on, let's be serious, folks. I mean, I found questionable. I think, uh, so, so. For chimpanzee, yeah, I knew you were gonna go there. Yeah, I have to bring this up. Yeah, yeah, I knew you were gonna yeah, go yeah, there. Yeah, ten percent of uh, British people, seventeen percent of Americans. You people are crazy. You people, you're are not beating so a crazy. chimp. There's that Nobody photo. Does. There's that photo of oh, the, the chimp one? with alopecia. So this is this is a a chimp without any of the body hair. Yeah, what you see is shredded, an absolutely dude. shredded chimp. Yeah, it's solid <laughs> I mean, muscle ripped. Right, I mean, like it's like two percent body fat. Right, like world champion you power lifter, and not just not not like not just like man, wow, his arms are big. <laughs> the entire chimp is just cut. It's pure muscle, like traps, pecs, everything. <laughs> yeah. Traps. They like like a chimp. I bet could like like I've been told they're six times stronger than a person. Like they will rip you to shreds. They'll probably tear your arms off. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and beat you with them. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. There's another. You should check it out. So this this graphic, it's on uh, what is it? New York Post. Yeah, it's a, it's a YouGov poll. Yeah. So, so if you just you know YouGov Americans, Britons, animals in a fight, you you'll should find track it. what you think you can beat. Like I, I mean, look, a house. First of all, I, here's one thing that like sort of popped my mind: a house cat. Only sixty nine percent of Americans 
think that they can take out a house cat? Come on, people. Dude, who the hell can't take out a house, house cat? But anyway, there's a lot of good stuff on there. You got to check it out. Grizzly bears at the bottom. Nobody thinks they can beat that, rightly so. Probably wise, yeah. yeah. I do want to meet the 6% of Americans who think they could beat a grizzly bear, though. <laughs> and, and what the technique? I'd like to know the technique. Yeah. Absolute Because you confidence. can't go right at it. Right. There's no way. Right? I mean... Good God. It's a little, it's probably an adaptation of Smug's faint kick to the ribs and the horse. I mean, that's the thing is that, like, you can't, the thing is just a, a fortress. Yeah. Grizzlies are fortresses. Well, and their heads, claws and teeth. And their heads are like three feet thick. Yeah. It's, you're, you're not beating a grizzly. Can't do that. Can't do that. Okay. Um, can we take a moment? We haven't taken a moment. We were on this story before anyone was on this story. Yep. Other than, our good friend of the program, Janice Dean, who took this on her shoulders. Yeah. Literally, while everyone else was singing the praises of Governor Andrew Cuomo, mm -hmm. she went up against a 75% approval rating, spoke truth to power, mm -hmm. did it every single day, threw caution to the wind, told the truth, and her day in the sun finally came. And Thank well God deserved. for people like well that. Well deserved. I mean, like the, the the tremendous loss that she suffered, and like you said, this there was a period of time where the media was hyping this guy Cuomo up so much. There were Cuomo sexuals. It was out of control. How much they were hyping him? Yeah, dude, like they wanted Biden to pick Cuomo's VP, and Dude. then they're like, and they're like, you know, Cuomo uh, for Attorney General. There was all sorts of stuff going going around, which is absurd. And now, you know. Um, you know, she spends all that time fighting the good fight. They call her a weather girl and everything they can think of to undercut her and her credibility, despite the fact that, you know, she lost both of her in-laws because of his incompetence. Mm -hmm. And now, finally... And they were happy to dismiss her because right. they wanted to be in the good graces of a popular Democratic governor. Right. She brought the whole thing down. Yeah. Right? It, if you want to see the media hypocrisy on this, Drew Holden a good friend of the program, absolutely terrific uh, reporter. He's got a bunch of stuff on, on Twitter. He's done a thread on this. Oh, the man does incredible threads. The yeah, threads are, killer. he's literally the thread master. Yeah. Right? But if he, he put one up just on the hypocrisy of how outlets covered Cuomo yeah. compared to how they deal with this new reality yeah right and the 180 is unbelievable it's incredible it's just embarrassing it is embarrassing and i you know i saw janice dean on on tv today saying you know andrew cuomo you know going down for sexual harassment is like al capone going down for tax evasion yeah. and a lot of truth to that you know, I mean, that's a good point. Like well, it him, says a lot about our society. Right, right. But I guess the point is, is like Cuomo resigning shouldn't be the end of this. It shouldn't be, and I don't think it will be. To be honest with you, I think I think there's a lot more of this story to be told. And honestly, I think the reason that he ultimately resigned, I think he's willing to shoulder all this on his own and and just sort of push through it because he's never been held accountable for anything. But I think the fact that some of his aides have been now implicated and begun i think the people around him that have have helped foster this environment that's ultimately what yeah yeah no i i agree because I, I mean i was skeptical you know i didn't think he was gonna resign me either but I, I i think you know as the sort of epicenter of this scandal 
moved beyond him and there was fallout among those people that the the pressure was i would assume coming from a lot of those folks to say hey don't take us all down with you that's right you know that's right well i i think that happened but anyway you know he's got 14 he's got a 14 day a bizarre 14 day um resignation yeah he was like i'm going to resign in uh but it's going to be two weeks like buddy i don't think anyone's concerned about you giving a two-week notice feel free to go no (laughs) one's really concerned yeah we'll survive oh jesus well all right so let's get let's get to the next the next deal here which i think is is an important conversation for us to have um infrastructure we've had conservatives on all sides of this We've covered it a little bit in that we've had Pat Toomey, Mike Crapo, Shelley Moore Capito talk about a little bit about the the strategy that goes in, into all well, of this. Well, so before we get into the strategy, though, Holmes, like, I mean, you worked on the Hill. You know, I, I, I haven't spent all this time on the Hill understanding the process of all of this. And for our listeners' benefit, could you basically just lay out what actually happened with this bifurcation process? Oh, yeah. Just so everyone's aware. Totally. So, so actually, this is an important point. So you'll all recall that last spring, the Biden administration laid out their quote-unquote infrastructure plan, which is trillions upon trillions. Right. Right? Included in that was a was a trillion dollars of surface infrastructure and some things that were you know remotely bipartisan and then there was four trillion in what they called human infrastructure and tax increases and basically ruining the american economy right everything that you can think of that would change america from a market-based economy to basically a subservient government sole proprietor of American life was included in this. I mean, it was the, it was the Bernie Sanders. And to be honest with you, the, the mainstream media reported this. Like, it was the Bernie Sanders plan. That yeah, Joe- no, I, re- I remember, because I remember they kept calling it an infrastructure plan, and even the media sort of rolled their eyes, and they're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of this stuff isn't what we would call infrastructure. Right, right. So... When you go into a strategy from a minority party standpoint where you're facing unified government, you have to figure out different ways to stop the worst from happening, right? And it was different. When I was with McConnell, it was in 09, 010, we were in a horrible situation of having 40 votes in the Senate. You basically could do nothing. Everything was strategic and how you try to place things and argue different things and the hope was you could stop the worst of the worst from happening in that case was like full single-payer health care we were successful on full single health care stopping that they obviously got obamacare which is an abomination uh through but you stop the worst case scenario so when you look at single party control here republicans have had a two major point uh, position to try to stop. The, the first is you just absolutely under any circumstances don't want Democrats to restructure a market-based economy entirely to the point where everybody's subservient on the government. That's what they just proposed 
with the Biden deal. So you got to stop that some way. Right. Not 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 the the one trillion dollar infrastructure, but the three point five billion the big, dollar bu- the, big, the budget. The big right. thing that they rolled out last spring. The second is what they're trying to do with quote unquote voting rights. Yeah. Which is federalizing voting. This is HR one. And tilting the playing field so rapidly towards Democrats that Republicans couldn't possibly compete in anything close to a purple state. Yeah. The second is entirely reliant on the filibuster, right? As long as the filibuster exists, you can stop that. But there's been a debate now for six, eight months about that filibuster and its existence, and it only exists because of Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. Yeah, and like the eight Democrats behind them that are wary of getting rid of the filibuster. But ultimately, if the vote was called, you know which way they're going. right. Right? So, enter the infrastructure debate. It was a strategy amongst some Republicans that if you could call away the surface infrastructure piece that ultimately most of them agreed on and most of the Democrats agreed on, what Democrats would be left with in this reconciliation package, this big $3.5 trillion thing that they're trying to do, would be a bag of shit, right? So... Their goal was to try to put together a package of a trillion dollars worth of spending that is roughly bipartisan to take away all incentives from moderate Democrats to ultimately do the worst of the worst. Now, you can disagree with that strategy. This is the bifurcation. Yeah. But that's what we saw with this bipartisan package. The effort there is to try to pass something that's politically palatable for moderate Democrats to take away any incentive that they have for two things, passing an economy ruining, literally changing the America type tax package and doing away with the filibuster for this voting rights nonsense, right? Now, I don't know if I find or not. I mean, look, it's a strategy. And when you're in the minority, you have to have a strategy because ultimately you have no power to stop this other than to try to convince Democrats to come off of their position that they're going to pass all this stuff. Yeah, so, okay, this is probably an oversimplification, but what I'm hearing is basically like this surface infrastructure bill is basically the ransom we pay in the Senate to keep mansion and cinema from blowing up the filibuster down the road well that's one piece of it i mean the the, the democrats or the republicans that are they're closest with mansion and cinema believe and you got to take them at their word they believe that as long as there is something that shows that the senate can do something on a, a bipartisan basis they are very unlikely to nix the filibuster altogether right if that is the case, what you stop is this nonsense, quote-unquote, voting rights, which is literally the end of the Republican Party. Um, you stop D.C. statehood, Puerto Rico statehood, yeah, Green New Deal, and all of, all of the, the mess that Bernie Sanders and everybody else have conjured up over the years about trying to get something done with a 51-vote th- threshold, if that's right. Right. So 
they believe that this is not going to happen because they've showed this progress. Okay, so so the surface infrastructure bill goes to the House. This $3.5 trillion budget that the Senate Democrats passed on reconciliation with, with no Republican votes also goes to the House. So Nancy Pelosi is going to do what with those two bills? I guess what I'm saying is like, is there a chance, like, how, how, how do they pass both of those things? Do, you know, which one comes first? Well, so this is the chaos theory. So Pelosi knows that she's got a problem with the progressives. Right. She can't pass the bipartisan bill without progressives because she's got a four seat, basically four people flip and, and it's over for her. Yeah. Right. So she either needs a substantial number of Republicans, which she's unlikely to get. Or she needs to convince people that there's something bigger coming. So she said right from the beginning, I'm going to pass a $3.5 trillion thing first to show progressives our commitment to these huge tax increases before I pass the signature achievement of the Biden administration. <laughs> Which is actually kind of great for us, our, our prospects of taking back the House. Right. I got to be honest. Right, right. So, But I think it remains to be seen how she gets that done. Right, so this has put up a huge shit sandwich in her in her lap. Well, like I, okay. So 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 for me, I I, I don't <clears throat> see. I can't get number one. I don't like this bill at all. I don't get why we have to pay any ransom whatsoever. Like we have, we've got fifty in the Senate, right? And then I I feel like uh, if if they can extort us now, why wouldn't they just get whatever they want? Well, then? so I so I see what Holmes is saying though about like if it convinces mansion and cinema to preserve the filibuster and you pay that ransom and the result is they don't end up blowing up the filibuster to pass hr1 and make dc a state then that's a strategy all of I, this I, is an inside game is my point no yeah, is, I, like, if, yeah if 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 it takes like uh if mansion or cinema were gonna blow up the filibuster i feel like they'd have done by now no no, they'd have done it by now. Not true. Um, but, well, maybe not. But I guess what I'm saying is like strategy is like whatever strategy you, you put together. Like, all right, so this is on Nancy. Well, Pelosi it either now. works or it doesn't. Well, I know. But what I'm saying is like, so let's say Nancy Pelosi passes the three point five trillion. She passes the the surface infrastructure bill that passed the Senate with bipartisan support, and it like all like they end up you know, going back to the Senate after that. And then, and then what, like Manu Raju from, from CNN, like just goes right back to staking out Kristen Cinema's office being like, so when are you gonna get rid of the filibuster? Cause like, here's the thing that we're not really discussing yet. And I hope we do here, which is that that 3.5 trillion is just basically a framework and they can put whatever they want in yeah, it. And, so and, and, the and what they're going to do is they're going to put an amnesty for illegal immigrants. Exactly. And then the parliamentarian in the Senate is going to say, you can't pass this on reconciliation because this doesn't affect the budget. Now this, we need to blow up This the is immigration. Budget. Right. And so they're going to take it out. And then the media is going to go right back to those Democrats like, like Manchin and Cinema, and say, well, you know, it's this is important. This is immigration reform, and we can't pass it on reconciliation. So you're going to get rid of the filibuster now. And then I guess what I'm saying is like that's the risk of this gambit. Is like what if we do all of this to prove some bipartisanship that ultimately just resets the table for the exact same conversation we've been trying to avoid? 
No, I, I look. It's a it's a very valid point. That's the other side of the strategy. I'm conflicted on it. Yeah. to be honest with you. But I will say it just sucks I, I, being in the minority. Oh, it sucks being in the minority. And this is why this is why Georgia yes, is so important. For, I know for anybody who thinks that sitting out the Georgia election was smart or proved a point, you're an idiot. Well, here's the thing. So then, why did so many GOP senators jump on board with this bill? The bill itself, the no, stuff no, in here is I, awful. But, it's a trap. Like this, there's so much trash in this. Like there's that uh uh they're they're gonna study putting a tax oh, on oh the usage like, the usage what? fee thing that's insane yeah I mean look there's it's alloc- so so right here so the bill allocates 125 million towards a vehicle miles traveled VMT tax pilot program well and then there was the crypto thing and and Which I think is awful Ted Cruz was on the floor of the Senate and he gave a great speech on this and I recommend our listeners look it up because I mean. It was very, it was very straightforward and simple, and I think it was really eye-opening. And he basically was like, "Hey guys, if we're going to regulate cryptocurrencies, I I want every one of these senators here sitting on this floor to give me in thirty seconds what, what cryptocurrencies what they are. know. They don't know anything. They don't have any idea, and well, they're the, going to regulate the this industry. Is, is what I've said for years, until Michael Lewis writes a book about it, they don't understand, <sighs> right? But but here, let's go back to the point you made about the mileage usage thing. The reason that that's part of the conversation is that the transportation infrastructure in this country since 60 years ago has been funded exclusively off the gas tax. In the advent of, of electric cars and um, the improvement of miles per gallon, that dwindles every year. So your amount of money that, that is allocated towards transportation infrastructure gets smaller and smaller every year, despite the fact that things get more and more expensive. So you have to figure out a different way to do it. I'm not suggesting that the way that they're suggesting here is the right thing to do, but that's why that's part of that conversation. Yeah. It's a study. I mean, that kind of, right? Make, I mean, I it, guess that kind of makes sense. It, yeah. I mean, it, 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 but, but, he, but here's the point. I'm not defending the merits of this thing. I'm talking about the strategic value of, in the end of the day, if this stops... A three point five trillion dollar tax increase, and and federalizing elections in this country, it's a small price to pay. See, I don't think it does. I, I mean, here's the thing: is like if imagine it's like why you say we don't negotiate with terrorists because once you pay the ransom, what's holding them back? But this was going to happen anyway if they if they got it done. I mean, this was already in the the Biden budget well yeah so that's a good point i mean ultimately what they could have done is packaged all this up and passed on reconciliation in the first place it was already in there they just took the good stuff out so we managed to bifurcate the process. process yeah uh yeah yes and i still don't buy the the the, the this bill has good stuff i still don't buy that theory i mean you look at what's in here a lot of this a lot of this like uh there's a reason all these dem senators are spiking the football being like this creates green new jobs for unions because they're getting their carve outs is this is like uh you know a, a lot of this garbage that's in here is not actual infrastructure and what they consider infrastructure so there's this uh really great article uh this guy friend of the program mike solano i r- highly recommend you follow him on twitter he has a sub stack where he goes through uh what's in the infrastructure bill and it's quote infrastructure and this is not infrastructure to move forward at all like, this is not thinking forward. He gives an example of how, like, this is the country that we put a man on the moon. 
right? We had the Manhattan Project. And then if you like uh, uh, put those in, in, in how much it would cost today's terms, it pales in comparison to how much we're paying in this trillion dollar, trillion plus infrastructure bill that accomplishes what? What, it's 66 billion to repair Amtrak trains? $66 billion for Amtrak trains. Yeah, no, look, I, 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 I actually read the article. I don't disagree with anything he's got in there. Um, I agree. That's not my concern. My, my, my concern is the conservatives need to focus on the larger issue here, which is Democrats are not kidding when they're trying to ruin our country. They're not joking. Like, they have adopted Bernie Sanders' view of our economy and try to mainstream it to the point where they're literally trying to pass it on a bare minimum majority threshold. The question is how you stop that, right? There is a theory that we'll see if it works that is bifurcating what is infrastructure from the rest of it makes it less palatable for Democrats to get over the finish line. If that is the case, that is an incredibly important strategic move. I don't know if it's going to work or not. We're going to see. We're going to see over time. If it doesn't work, the whole thing sucks, and it was all going to happen anyway. But it's an itch. Don't lose sight. My point is, don't lose sight of what they're trying to do. They're trying to take over elections so Republicans can't win. They're trying. They are also trying to to implement a socialist America. But that isn't done last week. That will be done over the next couple of months. And you got to keep your eye on the ball on this because when that reconciliation package comes down, that's when we have to actually exercise all this fury because it's literally the difference between whether you can, you can have an American dream here or not, whether there is upper mobility in this country or not. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. And I, I get the idea that they could pass this all on reconciliation if they would have wanted to. And so strategically that makes sense. I mean, like, but here's the other thing, dude, like they left town without dealing with the debt ceiling. So like, we're not just going to well, be that's dealing. Another thing. That's, that's the other thing. I mean, look, we're getting pretty weedy. I know we're getting weedy at this point, but what happens is when you spend a lot of money, you hit the debt ceiling. When you hit the debt ceiling, you have to raise the debt ceiling. It's a statutory thing. We've done it for the last 10 years. It's an absolute crying shame that we have to continue to do it. But you know, the reality is, the last year of the Trump administration, we spent four and a half trillion dollars. It wasn't on the books, right? So if you're concerned about spending, you should, probably should have been concerned about spending at that point too. Well, yeah, but we were at a very different point there with COVID than we I are now. I get it, but not at the end. Not at the end. At yeah. the, look, at the end of the, of the Trump administration, the last COVID bill was bullshit. I'll say that as, as it passed 96 votes. Like it was a political exercise. And then all of a sudden you get into the end of it where people are like, oh, two thousand dollar check. Let's throw another four hundred billion on it. Well, that's the thing is I don't see why we we, we can spend sixty six billion on Amtrak and we couldn't get folks their two thousand dollar check. Oh yeah, no, the two thousand four hundred billion dollars and sending people two thousand dollars and then six checks. months down the line, all of a sudden we don't now they don't have to pay their fucking rent either. I think two thousand right? this is this is not this is the difference between conservatism and everything else. You either believe in it or you don't. It's not partisan. You either believe in it or you don't. If you think it's right to send taxpayers, taxpayer dollars to people to subside, to not to live off the government, to not make money, to not try to be entrepreneurial, to not have a job, to not pay their fucking rent. If you believe that, 
You are not a conservative. Well, you should the, not be a part of the Republican if, Party. If the, if the government shut down their business, you got to cut them a check. That's how I feel. Give them their 2,000 folks. But don't give it to these unions and these crazy, uh, I mean, the, the carve-outs in here to, to just dem causes is just insane. Yeah, I, I, look, the PPP thing notwithstanding, I think that's in a different situation because of the business deal. I, I, what I'm referring to, Smug, is is this sort of waning conservatism when it comes to this populist view that all of a sudden government is okay when we're paying people because we're buying votes. And that's bullshit. And it's bullshit. It's bullshit now under a Democratic president. It was bullshit under a Republican president. But you you have to, at some level, come to grips with the fact that we are way out of control. And if you look at what the Biden administration is trying to do with COVID right now, they're trying to re-implement the same situation that got us back to where we were in April of 2020. And that should scare the hell out of everybody. That's the hill to die on, folks. It's not... It's not like whether you spend a trillion dollars on infrastructure. It's about government control of your lives. That is the hill to die on. And, and I'm just trying to say, if you're upset, and I'm upset, I'm just, I don't like any of this stuff, but focus your energy in the right direction because ultimately this thing could get real ugly real fast if we end up with mask mandates, quarantines, and all the rest because of Delta variant. You heard from Marty McCary what his view was. Like we're basically dealing with an amplified flu. Well, I think that's just going to come down to we agree to disagree. I say every hill's the hill to die on. <laughs> I hate the bill to death. Wish it would have died. We'll see what happens. I mean, we'll see what happens, right? If the theory holds that paying the ransom now works. We'll see. We'll see. Well, we're going to spend this trillion dollars and we already have, uh, uh, you know, sky high inflation. That's a great segue. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh, we, we just got the numbers, folks. Inflation was a whopping 5.4% in July over last year. That's the same as in June and the highest in 13 years. Uh, and, and then, you know, we got this uh, breakdown from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Uh, car rentals are up 73 0.5% year 73, over year. 73.5% yeah. for rental cars. Gas is up 40%. Gas is up 40%. Okay? That is that right there. I mean, gas hurts everybody, except for the folks who got their $66 billion for Amtrak. Gas hurts everybody. <laughs> yeah, and used, used cars, 41.7%. I might sell my car. Dude, you should. I've been hearing about people who are selling their cars for more than they paid. Well, my, I mean, my car's 10 years old. I don't think that's going to work. But, I mean, this looks pretty nice. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, um, should we play a game? Let's lighten this up. Yeah. You want to play uh, King of the Hill? Let's do it. Let's play King of the Hill. Let's lighten this up and play King of the Hill. Oh, man. So, uh, Holmes, you have our new champion, Radio Free Tom, right? I do have Radio Free Tom, and it, it, it's taken me a little while to get into the mindset of Radio Free Tom, but I feel like I've got it now. Yeah, you, you've, you've mastered his voice. Well, I've, I've, I've worked through, because this is definitely a smug, you know, it, it, smug's got a better view of... of the metagame. Uh, yeah, of the metagame of, of Tom Nichols, but I feel like I've gone through enough of his stuff now where I've got it. Fantastic. Okay, smug. Who do you have as our challenger today? I am bringing Matthew Dowd. 
Wow, mail pattern. Yep, bringing them in. Fantastic. Let's go ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. It's time for our main event. In the red corner, fighting out of the Harvard Extension campus, a former two-time champion, Radio Free Tom Nichols. And now, in the blue corner, hiding out of his own Twitter account, standing five feet seven inches tall, Matthew Mail Pattern Down. All right, so here I go. Here I go. Yeah, champ goes first. I'm just going to go straight forward with this. So it's it's an RT from Tom Nichols. Uh, this guy, he's RTing, says, FYI, the Florida state government has requested 300 ventilators from the federal stockpile on an emergency basis. Uh, Tom Nichols, RTs, heck of a job, Ron. <laughs> heck of a job, Ron. As if it's, I got this. As if it's, as if it's Ron <laughs> DeSantis's fault. Yeah, that somehow the Delta variant has taken hold in the South, and and that somehow Florida is different than everyone else. If you look at the statistics, it's basically the same as every Southern state, as as McCary explained to us. Right, and it will soon hit the North. And, well, he also has the oldest population. Let's not That's forget. right. That's or, right. What, what, what day is that tweet from? Uh, that is from August 10th. Yeah, uh, August 10th. So it would be uh, Tuesday. Tuesday. Uh, the, the day Andrew Cuomo resigned? Uh, yep. Yeah. It's interesting. Bingo. And that's where I'm going. Matthew Dowd, August 10th. Oh, I can't wait for this. What Governor Cuomo did was awful, and resigning was appropriate. But what Governors Abbott of Texas and DeSantis of Florida have done are doing is far worse. Harming democracy, worsening a public health crisis, stirring up hatred of others. Both should immediately resign. I love, I just love butt tweets. Oh, yeah. I love butt, there you go. butt tweets. I love, uh, you know, when there's a big wind up where someone's going to admit, you know, something that is very hard for them to admit, you know, that their side has failed. But... And then, then the what about aboutism comes in. Yeah, I, what, what I what I do appreciate about both of these tweets is I I swear all of these folks are in a DM group together. You know what I mean? <laughs> gotta be. They gotta be. They gotta be because you got Radio Free Tom and you and you, and you got Dowd here. Uh, you know, Cuomo goes down, resigns, immediate pivot to DeSantis. Right, right, yeah. like, right. How do we redirect attention away from the guy who sent seniors into nursing homes with COVID positive patients and and groped a bunch of staffers and has to resign? How how do we how do we redirect that bad news? You know, absolute ghouls. You love to see it. Um, God, they're both good, but ultimately. 
the butt tweet is is so is yeah, so shameless. Strong. It was strong. Smug, Dowd wins. Let's go round one. I'm wondering if I should just go for a knockout because Dowd it. was going crazy. Br- bring it because I feel like I've got a nice. I have two great counter punches here. Okay. Okay. Dowd is strong though. I'm a little nervous. This is also from August 10th when the guy was just going bonkers. <laughs> I don't think spending money we don't actually have and increasing the debt at the federal level or uh, I don't think spending money we don't actually have and increasing the debt at the federal level proves democracy works. Let's pass protections for voting rights. Then I will believe democracy is working here. Interesting. Interesting. I'm just going to blow this one out and then we'll move on. Wow, that's confidence. Also, if I had to choose between Cuomo and Trump, and those were my two choices, well, it wouldn't even be a contest, and I'll say it again. But dunk culture, sifting through old tweets is just a thing. So he was responding to... People calling out his pe- previous tweets his, about Cuomo. His praise of Cuomo. Right. But, but, but the important sentence here is, also, if I had to choose between Cuomo and Trump, and those were my choices, well, it's not even a contest. <laughs> one guy... One guy Killed people in nursing homes and right. groped his staff. I am wrong. I am. I am. I. I have created a false idol, but but also Trump is worse. <laughs> I mean, you can't beat that. Um. Yeah, yeah. That's Radio Free Tom that's, round two. That's, that's good. All right, so I'm gonna go outside the box on this one. Ooh. I felt like I needed to, I, if I was going to win, I had to, because it's a strong week, right? So Yeah, yeah they were both they're both going. If I ha- was going to win, I had to go outside the box. I feel like the judge and jury may have a soft spot for this. this so Radio Free Tom watches Jeopardy all day. Do you guys know this? No. no. So if you follow, if you go through, you scroll through his Twitter account, it's Jeopardy all the time. Nothing but Jeopardy. God, it's so boomer. I yeah. love it. Watches Jeopardy all the time. I mean, I love Jeopardy too. Don't get me wrong. So apparently, last week, Joe Buck was the guest host. Oh yeah, like yeah, they've been rotating of of Jeopardy. Yeah. He said. Also, I have no idea who Juck, Joe Buck is, but he's annoying me as the guest host. <laughs> <laughs> he's the most famous sports <laughs> announcer in the entire country. You ever watched an NFL game in no, your life? Or baseball? Or baseball? Or anything. Yeah. It's like nothing. Right. Like literally not having that framework and you are a commentator on the social right. political electorate is right. amazing. Amazing. <sighs> Who is Joe? He's annoying. I got this. I got this. Matthew Dowd. Immigrants crossing the border have a great chance of getting COVID from Americans than they do of spreading it to Americans. That's next level. Folks, (laughs) that is next level. When we have had, you know, the limited amount of testing we can do that, uh, you know, (laughs) has been done at the border has been showing 20% positive. Right. And, 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 and the city of McAllen, Texas, that it's like a public health crisis because 1500 uh, you know, positive COVID uh, migrants were, were, were put in their town. That's an insane take. In, in, in the George W. Bush days, there was this, um, there was this notion of the like 
Apologize for America caucus. Oh, yeah. Right? This sort of fits within that zeitgeist. A little bit. In, in, a, in a very strange galaxy-brained way. This is like, actually, you know what? We're going to spread COVID to them. <laughs> and like you compare vaccination rates globally, like think about this. Like the claim that's being made here is so off the charts bonkers. It's really bonkers, dude. <sighs> Man, it's just very different takes. It's very different. It's very different. What's more out of touch? Okay, well, fine. The Radio Free Tom tweet is the most out of touch, which is right in Radio Free Tom's wheelhouse. I mean, this is a man who is very out of touch. Imagine not knowing who Joe Buck is. But you just can't top Dowd's take uh, <laughs> on illegal immigration. <laughs> there it is. You can't. That's a big win. I, a I respect win. the victory. It's been a while. You've been on a streak lately. Yeah, that was a big victory. And and I knew I had to bring different stuff, which is why I brought Joe Buck out. Which ordinarily was, I felt like. Normally that would be a winner. I feel like it was a good one, but that what you brought was just like you saved it. That was That was amazing. So good. All right, let's get to this interview. This is Blake Masters. Really sort of interesting guy uh let's get to it i want to welcome to the program a very very interesting guy who has now entered the political arena for the first time uh running for united states senate blake masters blake welcome to the program thanks thanks for having me great to be here listen sounds like you're on the road my man you uh you announced for senate what like a month or two ago and it, it sounds to me like you're working hard already not even a month. Uh, coming up on a month here and, yeah, driving to my next campaign event. Uh, so far, so good. Ton of energy here on the ground. Um, I think it's going to be a great 2022. I'm glad to hear that because Arizona, as you know, has been one of our sticking points the last few cycles. And we've uh, not exactly had a great round of success the last couple of cycles, but it's always been historically a pretty good state for us. What are you seeing on the ground that makes you so optimistic? Well, a lot of it, I think, is people are uh, alarmed, frankly. It's like I just uh, 10 minutes ago filled up my car with gas. The price was in the $60 for the full tank. Usually that price is in the $40. And so people people notice that, right? Uh, people see this open borders crisis. Like Biden inherited a pretty stable situation at the border. Wasn't perfect, but it was pretty stable. And now we've had over a million people just come here illegally. You see tents in Tucson. You see hotels full of uh, immigrants in Scottsdale. I think normal Arizona voters uh, are, are frankly just kind of alarmed at what's going on and how fast it's happening. Yeah, it really has happened fast. And, and of course, it is sort of ground zero in a lot of ways from the, the immigration crisis that we're seeing at the border. That That has always fueled an awful lot of concern for border states. But I think particularly so now, it sounds to me like that's what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Are the... Um, are the are, so Arizona is an interesting state, right? So it's got you've got your classic conservatives, you've got your sort of the more suburban conservatives. You're looking at this from an outsider's perspective, right? You're you haven't gotten involved in anybody else's disputes, so to speak. You're trying to knit all these coalitions together. What do you what do you think is going to be the secret to your success here? 
Well, you said it. And I mean, it's cliche to, to phrase it this way, but like we really do have to unite the Republican Party here, uh, unite Republicans and get great turnout. That's the only way we can beat Mark Kelly in 2022. It's the only way Arizona is going to really stay Republican or get back to being Republican in 2024. Um, and we have the whole spectrum here. But I think this is where being an outsider does help. You know, I can speak to the base. I understand their point of view. It's like I'm there myself. I'm quite conservative. And yet with a business background, uh, you know, I'm, I'm also at home talking with uh, entrepreneurs, business leaders, community leaders in, in Phoenix. Um, we really do have to run, you know, the most conservative candidate who can authentically appeal to all these constituencies. Um, and then ultimately in the general, right, like this election is decided by the 50,000 to 100,000 people in Maricopa County registered independent. Right. They voted for Ducey in 2018. They voted for Cinema in 2018. Right. Um, that's who you also need to appeal to. And, you know, we run the right candidate. We win. It's just that simple. Yeah, it seems to me like an awful lot of those voters, too are seeing what the Biden administration has in mind in terms of the tax increases and, and really what's coming down the pipe right now with this reconciliation bill in the Senate. Um, are you seeing a changed atmosphere with some suburban voters in terms of their concern about not only inflation, but ultimately what kind of tax bill and, and really kind of the implementation of a socialist view of America that these Democrats are embarking upon? Totally. Yeah. I mean, you know, I forget what Biden's top proportional rate is, but I think he wants to get back to, uh, you know, in the 60 percent. People don't want tax hikes right now. People don't want uh, amnesty for millions of illegal migrants tucked in to the, the budget bill. Um, this is kind of activating a lot of people who are typically nonpartisan. And I think that's important for the Arizona electorate, that one third independent block, they default lean right. They just need to be given permission. They need to be given an excuse to vote Republican. And that's twofold. One is what are the Democrats doing for me or doing to me? That's not going so well. Uh, and two is, does the candidate have a good personality? Can they connect with me? That's what voters think about here in Arizona. Well, let's talk about that ladder, uh, because this is a good opportunity to get to know you. you have not been in the public arena, really, beyond uh, what you've done at the Teal Foundation. And, you know, well, you are a best-selling author, right? So that's pretty public. Uh, but in terms of politics, this is a first-time go. So, so tell us about how did you get interested in politics? Why did you ultimately want to take the step to become a candidate? I've always been interested in politics. I was a nerd in middle school, you know, talking about <laughs> the benefits of capitalism, how it lifts people out of poverty, you know, to all my right. socialist friends. So I was that kid and, uh, you know, grew up very conservative, uh, libertarian. I did grow up disillusioned with politics. Um, you know, I, I saw all my millennial peers lose their mind about Barack Obama in 2008. And I sort of knew it probably wasn't going to work out so well. Fast forward. 2012, uh, I'm like, of course Mitt Romney will win, right? He's like a business conservative and he's confident and the Obama thing is not going well. No, Mitt Romney gets crushed. And it felt to me at that time, like maybe there was no future in right of center politics. Maybe it was just a uniparty and we were just going to coast off into decline. But then 
when I was working for Peter, the, you know, the Trump phenomenon happened and Peter Thiel was very early on uh, supporting then candidate and then President Trump. Uh, and so I got to help with that. We were surrogates for the campaign. I got to join the Trump transition team. And I saw both the new promise of how much you could do in politics if you were just willing to take on the establishment, um, represent the people. But also I saw the DC machines uh, kick into high gear and try to oppose them. So I got a real education with that experience. And uh, now I think we have this decade where we get to do something new and either take this country back or surrender it. So is it, was it the experience? Cause I read a little bit about that. You with, with Peter and the transition team and seeing it up close, was that sort of the trigger, the catalyst for you to say like, you know, I myself, not just involved in politics through, you know, whether I'm hosting events for people or doing whatever, but me, my, my name on the ballot that you wanted to ultimately put that, take that next step and actually be the guy. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's like when the gear started turning. And of course, that was the first time in my life where I had really uh, met a lot of congressmen and a lot of senators and gotten to know them and how they think. And, you know, you just grow older and you sort of realize like, hey, these adults, they don't have it all figured out. And like, I'm an adult now and I have just as much perspective uh, and I think a healthier perspective to bring to the table. So like, I can do this too. That's what I started to think about then. Then I moved home to Arizona in 2017, 2018, and I had a front row seat to us losing two right. Senate seats in just right. a matter of two or three years, right? Right. And I mean, just shockingly goes from an all red state to an all blue state right out from underneath you. And there's no question, Arizona is a perfect state that is ripe for generational change. And I, I got to imagine that from your vantage point, that's a that's welcome news. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's right. So far on the campaign trail, I mean, I think obviously I'm uh, connecting with younger voters. Um, you know, I'm 35, and some millennials, Zoomers, um, we're probably not going to win out my outright majorities of young people, but I think I'll pull quite a few uh, and make that very interesting. One thing, though, that I found is older voters, and that's most voters in a Republican primary in Arizona. I think two thirds are over the age of 55. But my youth actually resonates with them quite a bit, too. Right. Because I think I think to them, it seems quite, quite radical and quite charming and serious to see a young conservative. Right. It's sort of. Uh, well, I haven't what, seen what one in Arizona in a long to, time, right? They haven't seen one in Arizona for a while. <laughs> they haven't seen one in a long time. And it's sort of, you know, you have to be serious. If you intend on conserving anything at the current trajectory to have an America we recognize in 20 or 30 years, I think that kind of, uh, th- that really suggests, hey, this person is serious. And, and wow, I haven't, haven't thought about things in, in quite this way. So I think I just look and feel different than all the other, you know, baby boomer candidates. And you've seen this movie before. That's the vibe that they give off. Well, one of the things that I think has really resonated, uh, you know, not just with uh, older voters who, who I think can resonate with uh, the economic message that you've been putting out about how, you know, this could be the first generation worse off than their parents. Uh, I know that's certainly a concern for older people, but uh, can you tell us more about, you know, your economic proposals and, and what you diagnose as the problem our country's facing? Yeah, I think for too long, uh, conservatives, Republicans have just dealt 
uh, with economic policy at the level of abstraction. It's like free trade is good. And we decided that in the 80s. So then we pretended that you don't actually have to pay attention to the details and you can just coast decade over decade without changing anything. Well, meanwhile, China's industrializing. We're helping them do it. We're expecting them to liberalize and become a Western democracy. It never happens. We hollow out our middle class in the process. You know, we can barely make anything in America anymore. And we wake up, and I think coronavirus helped accelerate this realization, but we wake up one day and it's like, yikes. So let me let me also just ask you, because inflation is on the view, uh, on the minds of almost everybody that we talk to. You mentioned it about in your opener about the price of gas just today and filling up your car. What do you think we ought to do uh, to sort of reverse all of this? Well, we should stop uh, <laughs> stop printing trillions upon trillions. Um, you know, it's like maybe the first PPP and maybe the first sort of you know coronavirus relief package uh, made sense in 2020. I think it no longer makes sense to print trillions of dollars to pay people not to work. You're yeah. um, here. Your lips. You know, like we should stop doing that. I talked to. I talked to so many small business owners that are trying to pay their people 15, 15 an hour and they can't find workers because the unemployment benefits in the aggregate uh, make staying at home more attractive. So obviously that's bad economic policy. We got to stop doing that. That's yeah. just table stakes. Uh, so you touched on something that I think is also another strong point that you have going is immigration, but specifically, uh, you know, illegal immigration. I think it was just today that the Biden administration or, or journalists started to acknowledge that there's a crisis at the border, but we don't hear any solutions about what they're going to do about this crisis. I imagine that's a bit of an issue out in Arizona. It really is. And, um, you know, my opponent, uh, Mark Kelly, he has called it a crisis. He only ever does that in a few press releases. It's like when the polling gets bad enough, when people are so fed up with the inaction, He'll issue a statement talking about how hard he's working to solve the border crisis. Yeah, you never see him. I, I totally agree with that, Blake. Let's let's talk about Mark sure, Kelly. To these border communities, he you're, doesn't you're, do anything. I'm, I'm I'm I hate to do this. We're we're breaking in and out because you're on the road working so hard. So I'm I'm sorry if I'm talking over you a little bit, but I wanted to to jump in on what you were talking about with Mark Kelly because, you know, this is a guy as you suggested that says one thing and does the exact opposite. He's basically has been an extension of the Democratic establishment since he's been in the Senate, which of course contrasts actually with his colleague, Kirsten Sinema. And so, I mean, he, he's really an avowed right. liberal at this, at this point. All he does is raise a, just a ton of money and then try to run ads that sort of contradict what it is that he's been up to here. How do you break through that? Well, we do have to raise, we do have to raise money and fight fire with fire a little bit. Now, I think he'll raise more than the Republican nominee, but at a certain point, it's not about the money, right? Trump showed that you need enough to compete. But ultimately, Mark Kelly's going to have a track record here. He's going to have to account for his lack of success this time. It was a luxury he didn't have in in 2020, right? So now, I think people are sick of it. When people voted for Mark Kelly, they thought they were getting a Kirsten Cinema, who you know, I disagree with her on a lot. Thank goodness she's hanging on to the filibuster. She's willing to buck the party line. Uh, Kelly just votes with Chuck Schumer in lockstep. So he no says question. he's independent, and then demonstrably, he's just not. That, that, that's such a great point. The funny, the, the thing that I always put my finger on with Mark Kelly is that there's not ever a national conversation about which way he's going to vote. 
right? Exactly. I mean, you know he's going to go with Schumer like every time, every time. <laughs> I mean, and then he won't tell you why. He won't right. explain it. That's right. <laughs> it's it's been really something to watch here because he's ducked underneath his colleague who's taken a ton of heat for bucking the Democratic establishment, and he's the one that's in cycle. Yeah, I think they're just going to try to do do nothing, say nothing, and hope they can squeak by again. But this time, I think uh, voters will will have wisened up. So you talked a little bit about uniting the Republican Party there. Um, everywhere across the country, particularly in red states, for conservatives, 2020 was a major disappointment. But really, Arizona has and Georgia are two places that it seems to have fractured an awful lot of the party infrastructure, and you got people on all sides of issues. And the real challenge for the party writ large is to try to unite everybody, bring a lot of this back together to compete in 2022. As we discussed, awful lot of that is being done for us with Joe Biden and their agenda, which is just absolute, you know, terrible. And any conservative would react naturally to that. But if you're the nominee, what do you think you're going to have to do to bring all sides of this party back to a in fighting shape to get across the finish line against Mark Kelly? I think I have to remind people and convince people that this is not a normal election. I really do think 2022, uh, and specifically Republicans winning 2022, that's existential for yep. the future of America. And that's I always right mention on. 2022 along with 2024, because when we take back the Senate in 2022, which we will, that's great. That's a huge defensive measure. But then we also need to win back the White House in 2024 to go on offense uh, and beat the progressive left here. But these go together. Like if we lose in 2022, you know, this, the, the Democrats tell us what they're going to do. They're going to federalize elections. They're going to add Puerto Rico. They're going to add D.C. They just want a stranglehold on power, and they will never let a Republican win again. We know what that future looks like. It looks like the one-party state of California just sort of extended to encompass all of America. Uh, I think that's game over at that point, so we can't let it happen. I expect that to be a very motivating message. Listen, stay on that. That's a symphony right there. Yeah, I like that a lot. That's that, it. That That's the message. That's very good. All right. So let's get to the three big questions that we ask everybody. Blake, this is this is the stuff everybody pays attention to. Uh, first, first question is your last meal on earth, Blake Masters, what would it be? Oh, wow. Um, I will go with chicken fried steak. I never, <laughs> it's one of those things where if that's on the menu, I have to get it. Excellent. I will never choose anything <laughs> over chicken fried steak. That's an eclectic order, Blake. I didn't see that coming. That's not exactly Tucson's finest there. That's something outside the box. Oh, uh, when you when you come to Tucson, we got a few diners that uh, that do it right. I'll show you around. Okay, all right. So so if we do a ruthless live in Tucson, you you're on. We're gonna go have some chicken fried steak. I love it. All right. So second question. And I think I know the answer to this. I think we all know the answer to this because you're relatively new to politics. The the question is. If you never got into public service, what would you be doing with your life? I think I'll, I'll amend it a little bit to say, you know, if this wasn't the current trajectory that you've put yourself on, sort of getting into politics yourself, but also sort of at the intersection of public debate as you have with the Teal Foundation and the like, blue sky, what would you be doing with your life? You know, I have always been interested in architecture. I oh. don't want to be an architect and it's to uh it's it's a shame frankly that architecture is so left-wing but i'll say like designing and building houses 
I don't just want to build some architect's design, although I like the, the manual craft and the artistry that can come along with that. Um, but I don't want to just design buildings and have someone else build them either. I think it'd actually be like cool to build my own house someday. So maybe uh-huh. some like design build outfit. I like that. I like that. Cause you can actually see what you've built, right? That's right. That's right. It's- I actually had a friend who escaped San Francisco because I mean, it was just, it was a nightmare. He wanted to raise kids. He had a family coming on one way. He moved with his wife to Austin and, and for what they were paying in rent, she designed a house and they built it. Oh really? Like, that's how bad it's going. <laughs> amazing i bet more people do that in the future i bet they do too well i mean there is a certain satisfaction as you put your finger on it there's certain satisfaction with doing the job all right so here's the here's the last question and this one kind of goes to the core of who you are it's about what motivates you and the question is what motivates you more the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat and the way that we frame this up thrill of victory is like a glass half full constant optimist pushing for success the agony of defeat is like michael jordan right like can't go a day without worrying about somebody beating him uh where where you find yourself blake easy answer for me it's uh the thrill of victory that you know look i despair a lot about the future of america if the progressive left is unchecked so there's there would be agony and defeat here but i think uh no you can't can't run scared and you have to be more motivated by the good stuff that you can get done. Um, can't, I don't think you can campaign successfully, for instance, based on the fear of failure. Uh, I think that would make me too risk averse and too afraid. So thrill of victory. That makes sense. Makes sense, my man. Listen, you stay safe out there. You got a lot of campaigning to go. You got a tough primary. If you're successful, going to be a really tough general election, but boy, do we need Arizona. So we're counting on, uh, all that hard work. I'll keep it up. Hey, thanks so much for having me. You got it. Take care, Blake. Take care. So look, he's got a real shot. I mean, this, this is what I've been saying for a number of years here is we're at the brink of a generational change in terms of Republican leadership and the different ways that people look at conservatism to the future. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think we've gotten there yet. I mean, basically boomers have ruled both parties for longer and more generations than any generation has ruled any country in this world since the beginning of time. It is incredible. So that's what he's got going for him, in my view. Interesting interview, right? I mean, I dug him. I like him. I like his message. I like the cut of his jib. Yeah, it's just nice to see people who have, you know, experience outside of government, who are young, energetic, who want to step up and run. I like so. that he's interested. I like that he wants to get in and that's why I kept pushing on that. I, yeah. I, I, I'm, I like the fact that there's something about it that just sort of flipped the trigger for him and he wanted to get into this line of work because, you know, look, it's tough business. Yeah. So, gentlemen, outstanding work. That's another banger of an episode. Uh, and quick reminder, next week is Iowa. Everyone get excited. We're looking forward to seeing you there. So, until next time, Minions. Keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.